Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone? You are listening to another episode of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. And man, we have got a big show today. We're going to start off, obviously, with the Julio Jones news. I'm sure by now, everybody in Atlanta, everybody around the world, frankly, knows what went down. Shannon Sharp, this morning, Monday morning, on Undisputed, seemingly cold called Julio Jones and asked him straight up, you, you going to Dallas or you want to stay in Atlanta? Well, Julio said, nah, I'm out of there. Uh, so it kind of set off a firestorm on, on Twitter. I was lucky enough to be having my car worked on at this time. So I had nothing but time on my hands and watched it all unfold. And shortly thereafter, you started seeing people like Ian Rappaport kind of tweet out some clarity on the situation, saying that actually Julio Jones had come to the Falcons front office, come to Terry Fontenot and requested a trade. And that this kind of isn't surprising to anybody in the organization. There was a really good piece on CBS Sports by Jonathan Jones, where he kind of laid out everything uh, that was kind of unfolding behind the scenes. It seems like the Falcons are looking for first round compensation and aren't willing to kind of accept a lowball offer for Julio. So I'm going to dive into all of that here at the top of the show. But later on, I asked, you know, you guys on, on social media, those who listen to the podcast for some questions, anything, any topic about the Falcons, and, and I would get to it and answer that. So that will be kind of the second half of the show. I'm going to try not to run too long on this podcast, but obviously there's a lot to get to. So let's just dive on in with the Julio Jones situation. I think that it was certainly surprising to hear Julio say that, to say I'm out of here. And obviously there's a lot of reaction from the fan base who care a lot about Julio Jones, have <laughs> seen him do some of the most amazing, incredible things on a football field during his 10 years with the Falcons. They're upset. I mean, people are upset. But if you look at this objectively, we've known for a while now that this was always a possibility. The, the cap situation just is what it is. And yes, you can make the numbers work for 2021 if they really, really wanted to have Julio Jones on this team. And frankly, I think that they do. I, I, this situation reminds me a lot of what we were all talking about with the, the fourth round pick in that, yeah, Atlanta was hearing trade options or trade offers, but they were ultimately going to, I think, have to be bought out of the number four pick because there was just a chance to land a generational type of player at number four. And there's not really that chance at 15 or whatever. So I think that they understood the value of the commodity that they had in the number four pick. And I think that they understand that with Julio Jones as well. But while you couldn't make it work if they decide, hey, we just didn't get an offer that we like and, and we're going to keep Julio Jones on the roster for 2021, we'll make the money work in other ways. That is not the place that they want to be because they're not as good of a team right now as they were last year. Uh, they just had too many losses in, in free agency. And I think that their record will be better, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are a good team. Obviously, they're a better team with Julio Jones on it, but I don't know if he transforms this team. I mean, we've seen them go four and 12 with him on the roster and sure he didn't play a lot last year, but what they don't want to do is be forced to run back this offseason situation next offseason. And that is kind of the life that they will be living if they have to either restructure Julio's deal, restructure Grady Jarrett's deal because they weren't able to get rid of Julio. So I think from an organization standpoint, if you're looking at this objectively, Sure, everybody wants Julio Jones to retire as, as an Atlanta Falcon. I do. I really, really do. He is, I, I would put him probably as the top, from a pure talent perspective, the top player in Atlanta Falcons history. I mean, he's on a short, short list with Deion Sanders, Michael Vick, guys like Claude Humphrey, who nobody talks about anymore, but was I, like, there's a room in Flowery Branch where they house all of the old artifacts and just all of the stuff. And in that room, it's a small closet, very disorganized. But I spent a summer in there researching for historical pieces. And they have this giant book that looks like it should be in National 
treasure or something. It's huge, but inside of it are all these newspaper clippings from the 60s, the 70s, just before the internet existed, and, and they wanted to keep track of all that stuff. Back then, sacks weren't really a stat, but I was reading through some of these articles that were kind of like at the end of the season, and Claude Humphrey had 22 sacks, and, and it was something that everybody was just aware of at the time that's been lost to history. Anyway, you didn't come here to talk or to hear about a Claude Humphrey monologue. Uh, so <laughs> the Julio stuff, there are a few different areas and, and avenues that we should go down here with. Again, I think it's probably the right move. As much as it sucks, wide receiver is really the one position where the Falcons are set up to still have success, even post Julio Jones. And the post Julio Jones era is was always coming sooner rather than later. He's 32 years old, but they're going to have to pay Calvin Ridley after the season. And he's already proven to be one of the top receivers in the league. So moving on from Julio, you still have a clear bona fide number one. Russell Gage did everything the team asked of him last year. Oh, by the way, you just drafted Kyle Pitts, who could easily slot into the new Calvin Ridley role. You drafted Frank Darby, who a lot of people I think are high on. And then you've got, you know, guys that you brought in like Corderell Patterson, and we'll see what kind of role they have in mind for him. If he truly is running back, are they going to do a Travis Etienne type of thing where he's running back and wide receiver? Who knows? But you can weirdly move on from Julio Jones and not lose that much production. As weird as that is to say, there are really, it's true, there are only so many targets to go around in a game. And if you're not targeting Julio, that's that's fine. You're targeting Calvin Ridley instead. You're targeting Russell Gage. You're targeting Kyle Pitts, Hayden Hurst. Like, they're going to be fine weapons-wise. And again, like, I don't think they want to move on from Julio. They've said that. They've They've made it clear. But if Julio Jones did come to them, early on and request a trade. Why would he do that? Well, for as much as the organization is saying that they want to win now, I don't think they even believe that they are in win now mode. And if they're not in win now mode, what does that mean? Okay, you're not even really in playoff contention, I don't think. Now, things happen every single year. The NFL is built for parity. It is designed to allow teams who are obscure one year to rise to success the next year. Atlanta could could do that. Absolutely. But if you're Julio and you're saying I've got two, three, you know, again, I would bet on Julio to to keep playing and have a Larry Fitzgerald type of of tail. But maybe he doesn't want to do that. Maybe he's looking at it and saying, you know, I've, I've got two years left on this deal. Maybe I'll get a short term deal somewhere else. But at this point, he wants to win. This guy is incredibly competitive. He wants to win. He wants to be playing in meaningful games during the final stretch of his career. And I don't know if I would argue with him that if he views Atlanta as not that place, I, like, I don't think that that's really a misguided belief. And if anything, like, I kind of give credit to both him and to the organization. If, they, if he came in and made this request, this is the first time that we're hearing about it. And I don't even think we would have heard about it if this phone call had not happened today. So I kind of do give kudos all the way around of it seems like they've been treating this pretty amicably. I mean, again, Jonathan Jones says like none of this really came to us as a surprise with anybody. And I think that it's been a little bit of a, a open secret around the league that, yeah, Julio Jones doesn't want to be in, in Atlanta. What he said after he, you know, said he wanted out of there was, I want to win. I want to go play with a contender and you can't really blame him. So I, I get why he would feel that way. It sucks. But also like this, this happens. We can enjoy the moments that we had while also understanding these guys are here to play football. That it's, it's not life or death. And, and he wants to win. He wants to, like these guys are doing this because they are among the most competitive people on the entire planet. And I, I just don't blame Julio for wanting out. Now, what does this make me think in hindsight, about the Falcons' offseason. I think that if they knew trading Julio was was always on the table, maybe that played into, okay, we can restructure Matt. Like, if we know Julio wants to be gone, maybe that made that option a little easier. I know they still didn't want to do that, but maybe they spent a little bit more in free agency than we all thought coming in because they knew that we they could get this contract off the books and that Julio was going to be amenable to moving on with with from Atlanta. And so 
I do think this probably hurts his trade value. Again, it seems like Atlanta's asking for at minimum a second round pick. Now that it's pretty much out there that Julio Julio wants to be gone from Atlanta, I don't think that they're in the best bargaining position to get the most value. I, I think that they probably would have been better served behind the scenes trying to drum up a little bit of hype and and play. You know, you started hearing maybe New England really wants him. I, I think that that was starting to work in their favor. If you can get one, two, three teams who all of a sudden are saying to themselves, yeah, maybe we are a Julio Jones away from competing, then you're able to play those teams off of each other and it drives up the price. But now everybody kind of knows Atlanta's bent over a barrel. Julio doesn't want to be here. They don't necessarily want to move on from him, but they kind of have to given the cap situation. So now it's kind of a game of chicken and the Falcons all of a sudden look like the weaker, smaller car (laughs) driving against a a semi-truck. And so I wouldn't be surprised if now teams are kind of like, look, we know what you have to do. So we're not just going to give away more than, than we need to, because you kind of need to make this move. And they, they don't have to, at the end of the day, they, they could try to bring Julio back. I, I think Julio would still ultimately come back and play for Atlanta, even if that's not his end goal desired goal. But I don't think the relationship here is broken in any way. It's just, it's not the best right now. And so I think a lot of people are upset with Terry Fontenot. I, I'm not there yet. You know, I, I think he inherited a very tough situation. It's the first time GM. A lot of this is, is kind of happening quickly. It sounds like, you know, and he's said they still really highly value Julio Jones. And why wouldn't they? But especially if Julio came and said, look, I, I don't want to be here. Move on. They don't necessarily have that allegiance to Julio. They may say you're a great player, but yeah, we've got Calvin Ridley. We've got Russell Gage. And now in hindsight, it kind of, if all of this was happening behind the scenes, the quarterback at four conversation, we may all have just been wrong about that because if you're losing Julio Jones and you know that, then you're going to try to replace him with a general generational type of offensive player. And that's exactly what they got with Kyle Pitts. So maybe that was a little bit more of a no brainer pick for them at, at that point, if they knew that Julio wanted to be moved. So I just think that we need to probably wait and see uh, what the Falcons are able to get back from what the Falcons are able to get back for Julio will obviously color this uh, a lot as well. But I just think Terry Fondo was put in a very tough situation. And this isn't over yet. I, I don't think the Falcons are trying to push Julio out the door. I just think that it sounds like Julio doesn't want to be here, wants to go play for a contender, and that the Falcons have been trying to drum up as much interest for a 32-year-old wide receiver who played only nine games last year, has a weird stigma around him where everybody kind of says he plays hurt all the time. Again, I've talked about that. I don't necessarily believe that, and the numbers kind of don't bear that out either. But think about it this way. If there is a chance that Julio's value right now is as high as it will ever be again, especially if he comes back and plays next year, if he gets hurt or if he just starts to slightly decline, then the proof is there for other teams that, okay, this is no longer peak Julio Jones and that hurts his trade value as well. But if you're the Falcons right now, you could say, look, we Julio could have played last year if we were in contention. He shut it down. You're getting the healthiest version of Julio Jones that you will ever get. He's not very far removed at all from hitting 1,400 yards for six, seven consecutive seasons and being just an all-pro dominant type of player. He's more technically refined than a lot of the physical freaks that we've seen over the years. You're still getting Julio Jones. You know, we know last year didn't pan out, but it could have been if different situations had played out differently. So that would be my selling point if I'm the Falcons. It just so happens that this all now is kind of unfolded publicly in a way that hurts their bargaining position. And that's unfortunate. But I think that before we all kind of get out the pitchforks for this new front office, again, we need to take a step back, understand the situation that they inherited. Not only were they in win now mode with the cap, with a team that was not winning, but they got hit with a once in a lifetime pandemic that deflated the cap for the first time in recent memory. And so those two things, you were really caught between a rock and a hard place. And now you've got a wide receiver that requests out, which 
again, even if he wasn't going to request out, I still think this conversation is happening. It's entirely on the table. They they had to reshape this team for the future. They just had to. The too much money was tied into five players. And yes, they restructured some of the guys, but you know, a 32-year-old wide receiver is expendable. As good as Julio Jones is and as good as I think he will still be for two or three seasons, I fully expect for Julio Jones to get back to a 1,000-yard receiver. He's that good. He's generationally gifted as a player, as a competitor, as a thinker. Like He is the complete package, and it will suck to lose him. But we're all fortunate enough that his career is has been in Atlanta. He will go down as an Atlanta Falcon when he gets into the Hall of Fame. So it's just the sucky situation and decision that the Falcons have to make. But I don't think this doesn't change the way that I feel about the player. This doesn't change the way that I feel about the front office because it was a tough, tough task. This is not a normal offseason. It's a first-time general manager. It's a first-time regime. And we may be looking back on this in five years and our opinions may have changed. You know, they may have reshaped the the team. Calvin Ridley may ascend and all of a sudden become everybody's new favorite wide receiver. Like, I mean, a lot of things can happen between now and 2026 that will definitely give us more clarity on how the organization handled it. I know everybody wants to react right now. It's not inconceivable Julio is back in Atlanta for 2021, but I definitely think right now all signs are pointing to Yes, Julio Jones will be traded. The question is now, how much do they get in return? And is it the right call long term? You know, what do they prioritize? Do they want to get capital back? Do they want to free up their cap space? You know, what do they do? How do they handle this? But it's a tough spot to be in. It, it reminds me a lot of, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game. And the Falcons were dealt a bad hand with the pandemic happening, the cap going down, being in the cap restricted space that they were. And you had to move on from kind of one of your top guys. And it just seems like Julio, if anything, was like had saw the writing on the wall and just said, yeah, get me out of here. I want to go play for, you know, a contender. I want to go to San Francisco. I want to go to Green Bay. I want to go to Indianapolis and be in playoff games again because he's still that type of difference maker. And I don't begrudge the guy for wanting to play in some meaningful games. So I'm sure that a lot of this is going to unfold what what really stinks now is that we have a week before he can be traded. You know, it's got to be post June one. So we're all just going to be sitting here talking in circles for the next seven, eight days or whenever a move happens. But we all kind of know that something seems inevitable, I guess, at this point. So let's not lose our minds about it too much. It's the NFL. Great player. Tom Brady is playing for Tampa Bay right now. I mean, five years ago, that seemed inconceivable. You would probably riot. LeBron James left Cleveland, went to Miami. People burned his jerseys. He came back to Cleveland. Everybody loved him. He won a title. Now he's in LA. Great players move on. You can still remember the memories that you had with them. Yes, we all wish that the Matt Ryan, Julio Jones era had led to more success, but it was also the most successful and prosperous time for this franchise in its entire history. You didn't win the Super Bowl, but that was not on Matt and Julio, and I will choose to remember Julio's time in Atlanta is a, a tremendous success. He beat the odds because of what Thomas Dimitrov gave up to even go get him. I mean, there was a massive, massive, massive chance that he was going to be labeled a bust. And instead, he's a future Hall of Famer. What more can he ask for? So those are, those are my Julio thoughts. Now, let's get into the mailbag. Obviously, there were a lot of Julio questions, um, but there were also some interesting uh, side questions as well. And I'm really excited to dig into all of that with you guys. And obviously we will keep monitoring the Julio situation, but let's do some Q and A's. Mailbag time. All right, let's, we'll just dive right in here. I thank you to everybody who sent over some questions. Uh, I actually didn't, I was expecting for it to be all Julio Jones and was pleasantly surprised at the variety of of questions because obviously there's a lot more to talk about with this team than just Julio Jones. And I just spent 20 minutes talking about Julio Jones. So let's get into some other Falcons topics. Uh, Matt Jones at MC711 on Twitter asked, 
Thoughts on a potential 3-3-5 defense. So obviously that's a nickel look, three down linemen, three linebackers, five defensive backs. I mean, essentially nickel defenses are now base defenses uh, just with the way that teams deploy their personnel offensively. So you're going to be seeing that a lot. I don't know if I'm a big fan of the 3-3-5 for a couple of reasons. I mean, it ultimately comes down to what is a defense willing to lose? Do they want to take a linebacker off the field or do they want to take a defensive lineman off the field? In years past, we've seen, you know, under Dan Quinn, with a player like Keanu Neal, you would take your Sam linebacker kind of off of the field, but you never really lost much because Keanu was essentially another linebacker, even though he was playing a safety position. He's down in the box. So while they were a nickel, technically, they weren't really giving up anything at the linebacker position. Um, If... Dean Pease, you know, wants to run more of a three, four look in this scenario, you would be taking one of your, your linebackers off of the field. The reason I'm not super psyched about a, a three, three, five, and it's not necessarily a principal thing. It's just given the Falcons exact scenario here. I don't know where your pressure is coming from. And I know that Dean Pease has said they're going to be blitz heavy, but if you're in a three, three, five, you know, that means either you're blitzing, you know, one of your linebackers or you're blitzing one of your your nickel defenders. And so I don't know if you're really maximizing your coverage ability there. And I don't think that they have the personnel right now outside of Grady Jarrett with guys who can just kind of win their matchups one-on-one. And if you're in a 3-3-5, you're getting double teamed. I mean, your guys, you just have one less defensive lineman there. So I, I'm not against it. I mean, obviously, it's it's how you scheme things up. It's how they choose to you know attack. But if you're blitzing are you going to drop one of your defensive linemen into coverage? Are you dropping one of your linebackers? I, I just don't know, especially again, in a three man front, those are bigger, heavier defensive linemen and not your Vic Beasley's. You know, the, those are guys where you don't want to give up anything against the run because you're already sacrificing by having five defensive backs on the field. And, and that fifth man could be another safety. You know, they, they could deploy that in a variety of ways, but I would probably lean towards a more of a, Four two five is is kind of my my favorite thing there, and then just have your fifth man be like that jack of all trades uh, type of player that we've seen certainly in college, but now we've seen it kind of translate to the NFL level. That that would be my preferred choice, but ultimately it doesn't matter what I prefer, <laughs> and, and it'll come down to the end of the, at the end of the day, how does Dean Pease deploy whatever certain look he wants to give? All right, second question comes from at Barnhill Quincy. Wants to hear a cool story from uh, my time working with the team. And and I actually, so I thought about this for a little while. There were the day-to-day stuff inside of the building was so much fun. I mean, obviously, as you can imagine, working for a professional sports team is really cool. <laughs> and the types of conversations we have about work also happen to be about football. So just the floor for day-to-day conversations was amazing. But I did have one moment kind of early on in, in my career there where I was, you know, working on those uh, historical pieces, which I referenced earlier in the podcast. And one of them was going to be about the 2014 Thursday night football game between the Atlanta Falcons and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which I believe came in week three and was on Thursday night football. And I mean, it was just a straight up ass kicking (laughs) right from the get go. Uh, Atlanta ended up beating Tampa Bay 56 to 14 on national television, and it was pretty much the high point of that season. It was all downhill um, from there, but notable moments in this game were Devin Hester uh, setting the all-time return record uh, in that game, and then it was just an incredible game from Matt Ryan, who only had three incomplete passes. He was 21 for 24 with 286 yards and three touchdowns, so he had as many touchdowns as he did in completions, and I wanted to talk to him about that, and as I was doing my research for this game, I, it came up that as he was running out of the tunnel, part of the pyrotechnic, part of the fireworks display, I guess, that they are the flames that come up, you know, as the players are introduced, actually kind of flew over and hit Matt Ryan in the eye as he was running through the tunnel. And I was like, well, that was incredibly interesting to, to discover because he then had one of the best games of, of his entire career. And so, as I was preparing to to talk with Matt about that, I definitely wanted to ask him. And what I kind of learned in hindsight was I, I completely uh, sympathize with this because this is the way that I would be. But you hear stories of 
Uh, Sean McVay famously like remembers everything that's ever happened in his entire life on a football field. But most players, you know, they're they have short memories like the rest of us or they or they can't remember everything in the specific detail that maybe we would want them to. And I, you know, I, I learned after the fact that Matt probably didn't remember this game specifically more than like any other game. But when I brought up the the firework essentially hitting him in the eye, I just remember it jogged his memory and he just went, oh, shit, that's right. After that, the interview was one of my favorite interviews I've ever done because it immediately kind of made Matt comfortable and it jogged his memory. He remembered that game specifically because I was able to bring up that one moment that I learned doing doing the research. And, you know, it was just kind of fun to, to see Matt uh, relax, get comfortable and then talk about one of the greatest games he's ever had. So that was a cool memory um, and a piece of advice for anybody who you know, may want to get into this profession is research like that really pays off. Um, so you, you do your homework beforehand and sometimes you get a really cool story out of it. Uh, all right. At Patrick Kelly 97 asks, do you think under a DNP system, AJ Terrell could become a top 15 corner in the league? My answer to that is absolutely. Uh, I think what we'll see more with DNPs is is more mixed coverages. We'll see more man coverage. You know, was it won't just be all zone the way that that it was kind of with the cover three, cover one scheme previously here in Atlanta. So I do think that AJ Terrell absolutely has man coverage ability. Uh, I think we saw that last year, the way that Atlanta asked him to kind of mirror and shadow a lot of the top uh, wide receivers that they played against, which I think kind of gets lost a little bit when we talk about how good his season was. It was the degree of difficulty for him was insane in, in that because he was going up against the very best. He was going up against Michael Thomas. He was going up against Mike Evans. He was going up against just the number one receiver for every team, Keenan Allen, those guys. And he didn't win everything. The, the thing that I think he will have to do to really take that next step and become a top 15 corner is he's got to get better at the catch point. He was in position pretty much all the time. And that was... One of the reasons why I really liked him is he was just always around the ball. He was always right there with the wide receiver, but he didn't win as many of those as you would want or as a top 15 corner would. And so I think, you know, being in position is absolutely the right place to start. But now as he gets a little more polished, gets more reps, and and I think I think he will get here. He's got to just be better at making the play on the ball when the opportunity presents itself because he puts himself in position to have those opportunities. And so now you just got to finish because we don't want to continue to see, you know, Mike Evans make fantastic catches that are really, really hard, but he still makes the catch against AJ Terrell. And so AJ's done a great job of making these catches as difficult as possible and making the quarterbacks have to put the ball exactly in the right spot. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be an incompletion. But even when that happens, I want to see AJ Terrell assert himself and, dictate whether or not a pass is caught a little bit more than he did as a rookie. And and I think I think he will translate well to this scheme. And I think as he just gets better, <laughs> he's going to get better. He's going to be able to make more of those plays on the ball. Uh, and I'm extremely excited about AJ Terrell's career. I don't think we're talking about him enough. Joe Ruiz, 25, asks, why would we trade Julio? <laughs> I know the money issues, but if we thought Matt was still playing at a high level and didn't need to draft a quarterback, why not give him the most weapons on offense to make his job easier? Julio still demands a lot of attention and double teams. I mean, I agree with everything that you're saying, but the story may have changed if Julio, if it is true that Julio came to the front office and and wanted out, then, then that changes a lot of things. You know, it, if anything, now the organization is, is trying to grant their players request. I mean, they've, I think they've always wanted the best for Julio. They've always tried to keep that relationship, you know, uh, pretty good. And it seems like they're, they're trying to honor, you know, the time that he's put in here and and the fact that he wants to still be playing in meaningful games. And and I, again, I don't know if the Falcons are going to be playing in, in too many meaningful games. And like I said earlier, even without Julio, Matt's got a lot of options around him. I don't think Matt's going to be wanting for weapons. And and we saw it last year. I mean, with Julio out, he was fine. <laughs> he, they, they, he still has guys to throw to. He's going to now have Kyle Pitts in that mix. And if Kyle Pitts is even a third of what 
he's kind of been promised, then you're looking at like a top five tight end in the league. And and the upside for that is a top five tight end of all time. And I just think that the other part of this is this is not a win now team as much as, you know, Arthur Smith will say, Hey, we want to win sooner rather than later. Of course he does. He's the head coach. <laughs> he wants to, he wants to come out here. He took this job with the expectations and, and understanding the challenges, but he wants to come out here and prove that that he's a, can be a good head coach. So why wouldn't he want to win now? But I think if you just take a step back and you look at the shape of this roster, the division that they're in, the conference that they're in, it's going to be a lot for the Falcons to make the playoffs. I, I don't think it's impossible, but I certainly wouldn't be betting on it right now. And I, I just think that if if you're not in a position, I've always believed this, if you're not in a position to win a Super Bowl, I mean, Half of the battle of winning a Super Bowl is actually trying to win a Super Bowl. And more teams than people think understand that they don't have a shot at winning the Super Bowl going into the season. And so if you're not in position to win a Super Bowl this year, and I don't think the Falcons are, then you should be doing whatever it takes to get in that position as quickly as possible. And while it may seem counterintuitive to then offload arguably your your best player, there's more to it than that. And the cap situations and just trying to free up money for next offseason and not limit yourself to running it back with the same roster yet again. I think that should be the goal. And it, it that from that perspective, it makes sense why they would be looking to move on from Julio because outside again of, of re of extending Grady Jarrett, which still adds to your cap the next few years. And frankly, we don't know what Grady Jarrett looks like in this system. If they do try to kind of move to a three man front, we need to at least see that Grady Jarrett can still be Grady Jarrett in a three-man front because he's a perfect one-gap defender. He's a perfect four-man front defensive tackle, but he may not be in a three-man front. And do the Falcons want to pay him the money right now before even seeing what he looks like in this scheme? Maybe not. So all of those things considered, it just makes sense that that if Julio wants out, that the team understands where it's at financially. And moving on from Julio is a great way to, not a great way, Moving on from Julio is at least one of the paths to freeing up your cap space and hopefully being able to retool this roster in a better way next offseason. So I, I just kind of think it's as simple as that. At Mr. Funktastic, one two one, good good Twitter handle there. Um, asks, what's your top under the radar Falcon to look out for? So I've got one for offense and defense, or actually two for offense. Um, I'm looking at this running back competition and. The team has kind of come out and said that it's an open competition. They're going into it. I, they brought in Mike Davis, and he seems like the the clear option to probably be the starter coming out of training camp. They they also added uh, Corderell Patterson. We'll see how they plan to use him. But two guys who have been around and who I've been able to see, Quadri Allison and Tony Brooks James, I would not be shocked if either of those guys uh, carves out a role on this offense. Uh, I really like what Quadri brings. We saw as a rookie, he carved out kind of the goal line red zone role. And that always shocked me because you, you would look at him and like, he's a bigger back, but he is pretty quick. And, but the thing that stood out to me, at least for the reasoning why they liked him in that role is they just said his vision and his lateral agility quick, uh, in a phone booth, like his quick movability was really good. And that kind of surprised me because that's not how I viewed him as a player, but he clearly has that in an outside zone scheme. I would be really curious to see how he could use that kind of lateral quickness. And then Tony Brooks James is just fun as hell to watch. Um, he was somebody who earned a shot um, coming out of rookie minicamp and then wasn't on the team for for too, too long. But I'm excited to see what he can do with another look because, I mean, he's one of the fastest players on the field and I can just imagine him hitting the hole on an outside zone run and just planting his foot, getting upfield and then taking it to the house. So those two guys are people I will be watching offensively. Um, defensively, I'm very excited to see what Michael Walker will do in this defense. I think he really fits perfectly into the other kind of three, four outside linebacker slash edge rusher role. It's something that he did a little bit um, in college that I, I don't think people necessarily realize is he was a hybrid player, but he was an odd hybrid. He was like a defensive end slash linebacker. So he would put his hand in the dirt and, and rush the quarterback uh, from time to time, but then he would also play off the line of scrimmage and more of a typical outside linebacker role. 
So I think that he's got the skill set to absolutely flourish um, opposite of Dante Fowler as kind of a three, four edge rusher outside linebacker. And we saw what he did as a rookie really kind of came on strong when they needed him to down the stretch and, and prove that he could affect the quarterback in, in a lot of ways. So the, the, he's a guy that I'm really looking for on defense, and I'm going to be excited and try to keep an eye on him. At Spencer Hender 21 asks, Mohamed Sanu was dealt for a second round pick. Throughout this entire Julio trade process, I can't stop thinking about that Sanu trade. I know cap is the main reason for moving our best player. What's the realistic market for Julio? There's no way it can be a second or mid-rounder, right? Hashtag don't trade Julio. You know, I, I think first of all, looking back at that Mohamed Sanu trade, it's viewed as like a massive, massive error by Bill Belichick. I mean, Mohamed Sanu, he was either cut from the team or definitely wasn't brought back. And I think that teams are going to look at that and then also kind of the Hayden Hurst trade as, well, would we rather have one of those guys or just use our second round pick and and grab, you know, Deion Jones was picked in the second round. (laughs) Like a really a lot of a lot of good players get picked in the second round. And I just think that teams like the ability to take their own player. You get a younger player, you get four years of, of pretty reasonable salary cap. And Julio's 32 years old and he comes with a big contract, at least in year one. And there, that simple fact alone, his contract and just the number of teams that have a, a first or second round pick that is expendable to them, that already shortens the list considerably. You know, a team, yes, a team couldn't create that cap space if they really, really wanted Julio. But I just don't know how many people, even as good as Julio is, are, are jumping to take a 32-year-old wide receiver who was dinged up last year. And, and I, I don't necessarily buy into that, but it's just something that is going to be part of the conversation when teams are talking about trading for him and taking on his $15 million contract. And then on top of that, giving up, you know, a, a first round pick. I, I just don't think all it takes is one team, I guess, but I just don't think that there are that many teams who want to do that or feel like they need to do that. And that is why it's so important for them to really kind of gin up some interest and get more people talking about Julio, because that's kind of the only way I think that they will get the most back for him. And and frankly, again, like I said, if they don't get the value that they feel like they need, I'm sure that they are fine with, with keeping Julio. And now they may have to figure out all the relationship stuff that comes along with that. Is Julio, would he sit out as opposed to not playing in Atlanta? Like, I don't think that he would do something like that. But, you know, and maybe an in-season trade isn't out of the question as well. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of ways that they, this could unfold. But I think the best case scenario is that they probably get a second round pick for him. And I think that's still pretty good value. Like, yes, it's Julio Jones. Julio Jones, we've, Julio Jones means so much to this fan base, but to other teams, you know, they have their own interests at heart. And I don't think they're going to be tripping over themselves to just throw away draft capital or another star player or whatever for Julio. And, and I think that's just the, rea- the reality of it. So, yeah, that, that's kind of how I feel about that, especially when people are going to look back at, at kind of the Falcons fleeced <laughs> the Patriots for with the Muhammad Sanu thing. And then they turned around and used that exact pick on a player who's, who's been good. And I think has the upside, but it's not like Hayden Hurst has transcended anything. And you could say, well, Julio Jones would transcend whatever, but teams just don't really love to, to give up draft picks. (laughs) Like a lot of, they, they like to be able to make those picks themselves because it also sells a fan base on, on the future. And sometimes that comes with more job security. So as awesome as it would be to be a GM and say like, we got Julio Jones, you're giving up a first round pick and then Julio's injuries do turn out to be a real thing. And he only plays a handful of games or he's not himself. Like that, that would be a risky scenario to be in if, if you're a kind of a decision maker at Childers 1786. Can't imagine that's the birth year asks if you could watch any player have a no rules cage match against Bobby Petrino, who would it be? So for this, you, I, you ought, obviously you need to go back to the 2007 team. Those are the guys that were with Bobby Petrino. Those were the guys who were screwed over by Bobby Petrino and they would obviously come in with the most animosity. So 
Sure, I think Caleb McGarry could literally rip that man in half, but I limited it to the 2007 team. Some finalists for this were D'Angelo Hall, who I know, you know, just loathed Bobby Petrino. Um, John Abraham, that would just be fun to, like, he would destroy it. But I went with Lawyer Malloy, who was always one of my kind of favorite safeties throughout the years and certainly known as a, a hard hitter, a, a punisher at the position. So it's not like we're really losing anything there. And I was reading a story from the time about when Bobby Petrino left and left the notes on everybody's locker. And this little tidbit was was there with uh, Lawyer Malloy taped a copy above his locker with a red X through Bobby Petrino's message. And he wrote coward on the, uh, the piece of paper. And then his quote in this story on NFL.com said, I feel like I've been sleeping with the enemy the past eight months. So I am going to allow Lawyer Malloy to have the opportunity to fight that enemy. And you know what? I hope he gives Bobby Petrino everything that's coming to him. Although it seems like fate has kind of done that to Bobby Petrino already and used a motorcycle as its weapon. At F. McCunty, whatever, uh, who are the favorites to play three, four defensive ends currently? You know, that that's a really interesting question because it's it's kind of tough to tell right now. We we don't know how much the defense is going to be 3-4. We don't know how much is, is going to remain a 4-3. I think the personnel on the the roster right now is better equipped for a 4-3 than a 3-4. A so that kind of, I think, informs that decision. But if they truly do want to move to a 3-4, a some guys who I think we could see um, playing kind of that end position and, and not the true zero technique or, or nose tackle there. I like John Kaminsky. I've always liked him. He's a great guy. Funny uh, story. Right after he was drafted, my wife and I took a, did a cruise around Hawaii and we were waiting in line to kind of board the ship. And, and I look over and I see uh, John and his girlfriend like walking into essentially like this big like airplane hangar <laughs> where they were docking the boat. And it was just such a weird thing to see you know, a Falcons rookie who I had talked to two, three weeks beforehand, just walking into uh, this cruise ship bay in Hawaii. So uh, always been a big fan of John. I, I like him a lot as a player. He's really versatile, can play inside or outside for a 4-3 defense, which is why I think he's pretty well suited to be a, a defensive end in a 3-4. Obviously, you can move Grady Jarrett out there. He's not big enough to be kind of that nose tackle. Uh, Marlon Davidson, uh, same thing, has the John Kaminsky type of versatility, can move inside or outside. And then uh, rookie Ade Ogundeji, I think they probably drafted him with such a role in mind if they did want to go 3-4. You know, the fact that they drafted two defensive linemen, I think gives us a little bit more of a clue of the type of player that they're looking for on their defensive line. So those are four guys that I would look at, but it's still incredibly early, and we won't really know this until training camp when they actually start lining guys up at different places. All right. At Joe bear 74 asks, uh, do you think the Ryan haters will ever come around on him? No, I think it's human nature to once you kind of have a position, you just get more entrenched in it and you defend it more, uh, vigorously. And also I think there's a, like an element of trolling here. <laughs> it's, it's kind of clear that Matt Ryan is just an incredible quarterback and has been very successful for a very long time. But People love to zag. And I, I think that you're always going to get the, the people who maybe loved Michael Vick and, and just ne Matt Ryan was never going to have a chance with those guys. Um, and I, I loved Michael Vick, too. <laughs> and I was I kind of remember being sad or upset when Matt Ryan was was drafted because I remember thinking like football's just going to be boring and not fun to watch anymore now that we just have a drop back passer. But uh, none of the Matt Ryan era has been boring. So uh, but no, I, I think I, I think in hindsight, people will once we get more removed and obviously it, it depends on who they draft or bring in after them. If, if the next guy is really, really good, then I think, no, people probably will continue to have their same opinion of Matt Ryan. But if, if the next guy or two or three guys are, are not very good, then I think people's esteem of, of Matt will grow um, as we get a little bit more removed from the success, the relative success that he's had during this run, which has been, again, the most successful run in, in franchise history. Joe also had a second question. Basically, there's been a take out there that the defense has been bad because the offense has really been the focus for the organization, free agents and draft picks. 
uh, what are my feelings on this? He also did a little bit of research. Since Matt Ryan was drafted in 2008, the Falcons have drafted 21 defensive players in the first three rounds and only 13 offensive players in the first three rounds. Uh, and eight of those 13 were offensive linemen, which makes sense. You try to build around your uh, your quarterback. But I, I think it's simple. Like I just think the Falcons have done a better job of acquiring offensive talent than they have defensive talent. You look at guys like Calvin Ridley. You look at Julio Jones. Like they, They've hit on these skill position players Jake Matthews, you know, that was a hit. That was a good left tackle. And then they've also, I think, did a better job of identifying the specific skill sets that they needed in free agency on the offensive side of the ball. Guys like Alex Mack, guys like Mohamed Sanu, than they have on defense. And yeah, they they hit on Keanu Neal. They hit on Deion Jones. They they hit on some of those guys, but they didn't do a very good job of of kind of addressing cornerback through the draft. They haven't done a, a very good job of finding a pass rusher, obviously. And so when like two of your first round picks are defensive ends who are no longer with the organization and, you know, are considered probably among the biggest busts of, of the past decade, like that, that's going to hurt. So I, like, I don't think it was necessarily that they prioritized one over the other. I think that their philosophy was kind of to build through the draft, which I think is a shaky philosophy because your it, the draft is all about projection. And I'm a fan of kind of, if you're going to, plug a hole, go find somebody who has proven at the NFL level that they can do that job against other NFL players. And I understand why they did it. You know, it kind of it's cost effective to build through the draft and, and you can really find the guys who fit your specific scheme. But I just I think that they just did a better job of, of hitting those guys on the offensive side of the ball than the defensive side. At Jelani234 asks, you know, I know it's early, but what position or positions do you see the Falcons Maybe trying a late offseason trade or pickup that's available free agency. Is there anybody who I would like to see them add? Um, I think kind of my short answer is I'm not sure how active they're going to be. Again, we're we're talking about all of this Julio stuff and Cap stuff just so they can sign their rookie class. I mean, like I, I really don't think that they will have the finances even once those moves are made to have a like a second wave of free agency. Um, I think, frankly, like they kind of surprised me with how active, relatively active they were in the first part of, of true free agency. And I, I think that's something Terry Fontenot has always been good at is finding that value in, in some of those mid-tier free agent or lower tier free agent guys. And he's also been very good with kind of like the undrafted guys. So I would look at that crop and, and see if anybody, you know, could you get three or four of those guys to be role players uh, in year one. But because I want to answer this question, um, I, I just kind of looked at some of the guys who were still available and, and came up with four names. Justin Houston, like they there are not proven pass rushers really on this roster right now. And he's old. I mean, he's he's kind of definitely more on the tail end of his career, but you may be able to get him relatively cheaply because of that. And I'm I will never pass up just taking a flyer on a on a potential pass rusher, rotational pass rusher. Um, and if anything, you know, maybe you get a little bit of of him kind of coming in here and working with some of the younger guys, passing on some of the knowledge, similar to what happened in, in 2016. But he would be somebody for the right price. I, I'll take a flyer on him. Larry Fitzgerald, if the Falcons do move on from from Julio, why not bring in Larry? I mean, he's he's obviously again very tail end of his career. He, he may retire this offseason. Who knows? But you get him in here on a one-year deal. He obviously knows everything. He can speak football at the highest possible level. He and Matt could probably click pretty early and he wouldn't have to carry the load. And if, if you step in and Larry Fitzgerald's your third wide receiver option and really probably like your fourth or fifth, then that just adds depth to a position where you would be losing your marquee guy. But Larry Fitzgerald is one of the greatest ever at the position. And it would just be really fun to see him uh, out there on the field. Uh, Darquez Denard was obviously here in Atlanta last year, and I think he did a really, really good job when he was on the field and healthy. I mean, he was arguably, at times, Atlanta's most consistent corner when he was on the field, and he can play both inside and outside, but he actually weirdly kind of got better uh, when he started playing on the outside a little bit more, which I didn't think would be the case when he came in initially. So he would know the personnel, uh, at least most of the personnel, and. I think, again, you can never 
I'm always happy to roll the dice with with somebody at the cornerback position. And this isn't really even the biggest dice roll because he was here last year and, and we kind of saw what he can do. And when he was playing really well, he was playing really well. Uh, and the final one is Corey Peters. Let's bring him back to Atlanta. Another guy like uh, the trend here is these are guys who are kind of tail end of their career. But that's where I think the Falcons are, are going to be looking, if anywhere at all, because you're probably getting them around the vet minimum and, and that's all they really can probably spend but throw Corey Peters that would be another person who could be like a three four end and and bring him there he's he's not the pass rusher that that he once was but I think he's a good run defender and if you're a three four end like that's something that you have to be doing really well is is playing the run and keeping the guys behind you clean and I think that he could do that and definitely be part of this rotation and and you probably get him uh, for not the most money so those are four guys that I would be interested in if I was making the shots. Now, again, I, I really don't expect there to be a big like second wave of free agency for the Falcons. But those are just four guys that that I kind of liked when I was going through the, the list of everybody who was still available. All right. Those were all of the uh, questions that I got. Um, but this was a lot of fun. I, I hope to kind of continue to do some of these, especially as we're about to hit a, a slower part of the offseason, um, depending on what happens with Julio, of course. So, yeah, we'll we'll probably keep or I'll probably shoot out uh, ask for some questions um, but feel free to shoot me uh, any questions that you guys have at any time and maybe I'll be able to uh, answer a few of them on any pod moving forward that will do it for today's episode of believe in falcons once again I am Will McFadden you can follow me on twitter at Will McFadden if you like the show please you know subscribe Tell your friends, tell your family, rate five stars. Uh, let me know. Uh, DM me on Twitter. Shoot me a note if you have any suggestions or recommendations on how we can get better. I, I'm, I'm pretty new at this, but I am always trying to get better. I, I hope you guys enjoy it, and I'd love to hear from all of you. Uh, but that'll do it for today's episode, and I'm sure next week we will probably again be talking about Julio Jones. I'll try to get a guest on to get some uh, information or, or have kind of a spirited discussion about all of this and that's where we'll be. But, you know, it, it's exciting in the sense that everybody's talking about the Falcons, uh, but it sucks that the subject matter is a potential Julio Jones trade, but that's where we are and we will keep you posted. But until then, everybody take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.